The Stranger Things Podcast, Season 2, Episode 2, Trick or Treat, Freak. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of bullies here. So many bullies is, is, is crazy. Yeah. Is that why you're wearing proton packs? Well, these don't function. But I do have this handy-dandy little trap here. And look, it even opens and closes. Look, look, look. Voila! <laughs> cool, right? No? Okay. But um, So we, we were talking last night, and you're new here. So you probably don't have any friends to take you trick-or-treating. And you're scared of bullies. So uh, we, we were thinking that it would be okay if you come with us. It'd be okay? Yeah. Our party's a democracy, and the majority voted you could come. I didn't realize it was such an honor to go trick-or-treating with you. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to get the full-size candy bars. We figured you'd want in. That's presumptuous of you. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so, um, um, you'll come? We're meeting at the Maple Street cul-de-sac at 7. It's 7 on the dot! Presumptuous. That's a good thing, right? Hello, and welcome to... The Stranger Things Podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to the Netflix original series. Stranger Things. <laughs> I am Daryl. And I'm Addie. And uh, I don't know. Addie, my expectations for this episode are, I hope it doesn't suck. You stole the quote of the week. <laughs> you didn't have to spoil it that it was the quote of the week. Well, I am thrilled that you have uh, tuned in to our podcast today as we're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, Trick or Treat Freak. Let me break down what we're talking about here in today's episode in case you haven't joined us before or maybe you just want to know, you know, kind of the roadmap for where we're going. Uh, We're going to do an episode recap that we get from the great folks over at the fan wiki, which is strangerthings.wikia.com. We're going to spend the majority of our time discussing the actual episode. And after we do that, we'll give it a rating. Then we're going to share notes from the upside down, which is listener feedback. We've got quite a bit of that to share with you guys this week. So thanks to everybody who sent that in. We'll have a quote of the week, which Addison spoiled just a few minutes ago. But um. Hey, they didn't know that I was spoiling it. They didn't know I was spoiling it until you mentioned that I was spoiling it. So You, you get- shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> and then uh, we will uh, share some news and stuff that's happening in the world of Stranger Things. And then we'll get out of here with our Mame of the Week. Meme. Yeah. He's just like mom, weird accent. Yeah, whatever. Can't pronounce words. All right, Addie. So what episode are we talking about today? Trick or Treat Freak. And who wrote this episode? The Duffer Brothers. And who directed this episode? The Duffer Brothers. And how do they know each other? Hmm. They're sisters. <laughs> okay. All right. Before we get into our episode recap, I wanted to kind of just mention here at the very front of the show about a contest we have going on because uh, we want to make sure that everybody is aware of this contest because the contest ends this week. And so far, we have one kind of sort of entry. 
And so the contest is we want to see your pictures of you watching the show or in cosplay. We thought with Halloween, a lot of you might be going as one of the characters or dressed up as uh, someone from the show. And so we just want you to tweet it to us or post it over on our Facebook page, which our Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash Stranger Things GSM. And our Twitter handle is upside down GSM. So, so far we have Kaylee Griffin has submitted a photo. Now, I don't know if the photo was specifically for the contest. I'm going to act like it was. And so, Kaylee, whether you intended to be or not, you are entered into our contest. And so the contest ends November 11th. We'll announce the winner on next week's podcast. The winner is going to get uh, their choice of a $25 Target gift card or a $25 Amazon gift card. So can I enter? No, you may not enter. Why? Because you're ineligible because you're part of the podcast. Besides, I buy you stuff for Stranger Things stuff from Target and Amazon all the time. In fact, you don't know this, but I bought two more Funko Pops today. <laughs> we have an obsession. I might have an obsession. I bought uh, Hopper in his uh, uniform. With did you, hat. Did you get Hopper in the hazmat suit? No, I didn't. And I finally got Eleven in the hospital gown. We we still need to get Eleven under, underwater, though. I know. That one's gone up so much in price. So I don't know. Not looking good. Unless we want to splurge. Speaking of splurging, let's do the episode recap. The episode opens as Eleven awakens to find herself in the Upside Down. Although scared, she then escapes through a gate the Demogorgon produced and runs off back to Mike's house, where she encounters him being talked to by the government, telling him that her stories were not true. Realizing that she is in danger, Eleven runs off into the forest, hiding. Afterwards, Hopper makes breakfast for him and Eleven as she walks in and asks if she can go trick-or-treating as a ghost. She believes that she would not be noticed with the sheet over her, but Hopper refuses because it's too dangerous. Hopper then finds out that more pumpkin farmers in Hawkins have found their crops rotting mysteriously. Nancy talks to Steve about Barb, saying that they should tell her parents about her death. Steve insists not to do so because the government will come after them. At Hopper's house, Eleven watches TV when she remembers having to live in the forest to evade the government. She kills a squirrel to survive, then encounters an old man while cooking her meal. She attacks him with her mind and takes his coat and flap hat. Dustin and Lucas invite Max to go trick-or-treating with them. When school ends, Max goes home with her psychotic brother Billy, who attempts to run over Mike, Lucas, and Dustin. Nancy and Steve attend a Halloween party where Nancy gets drunk and tells Steve that she doesn't love him, which causes him to leave. Jonathan takes her home. Will has another episode experiencing himself back in the Upside Down as a shadowy monster in the sky attempts to catch him. Back at Hopper's house, Eleven tries to contact Mike through the void, but fails. As Dustin arrives home from trick-or-treating, he hears a noise in the garbage can, and when he opens it up, he finds something mysterious inside. Indeed, something mysterious inside. And the epic Ghostbusters music plays. That's right. You forgot that. Uh, well, that's why I have you here, to help keep me on track. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> Let's do some episode discussion. Let's talk about the episode. Starts off awesome. Eleven 
flashback. Now, I, you know, I, I really wasn't sure at what point in the season and in what manner we would get the flashback. In other words, where's Eleven? She's clearly, we get, you know, in episode one of season two, we learned that she's still alive. No surprise there, really. But we don't know how she got there. How does she get into Hopper's cabin and stuff like that? So I really wasn't sure how they were going to present that. And not only that, but how was the cover-up handled? So we got those things pretty well cleared up in this episode. I think there's still more questions that are out there and more that we could learn. But if they don't, I think I'm pretty satisfied with it. But so when this episode started off at the very beginning with Elle in the Upside Down waking up after the events of season one, episode eight, I was pretty on. I was I was really excited and, and knew that it set the tone for an awesome episode. What was your experience with it, seeing it for the first time? I thought I thought it was really cool. I like how it gave like some more background and like information about Eleven and like how she got out of the upside down. Mm-hmm. Especially because uh, remember when I said that like how did it take her so long to get from the school to you know the the other places the the, the house. Yeah, I was like, how did it take her so long to get from the school to the house? I mean, yeah, she was in the upside down, but like it shows her getting out of it in the trailer. So now I understand why. Um, And then later it shows her like in the forest. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she obviously got out. Yeah, I was surprised that she she got out the same night, like because, you know, when we last saw her in episode eight of season one, she was barely clinging to life when they yeah. brought her into the classroom. And then she mustered all of her power to destroy the Demogorgon. And then she disintegrates into places unknown. So for her then, so we see her awaken in the upside down. Now we don't know how much time has passed, but it's the same night. They haven't cleaned the school up yet. The, the, the bad guys with guns, the government agents are still out there. There's still fr- fresh blood on the floor. Right. So it's the same night and she was able to recover and use her powers to open the wall up more and and to escape and that sort of thing. So I was surprised by that. I thought it might have been there might have been some time, even a week pass before she got out of the upside down. Although I, I, if I had to guess, I would have said more than that. So I was definitely surprised that it was the same night that she got out. Well, okay. The only reason I knew it wasn't is because of the trailer. Like I figured it was going to be like the. A little bit of time, like a couple mm-hmm. hours or at most a day because of the trailer. What was it in the trailer that made you think that? Because I mean, I saw the trailer too. Well, um, there's one part in the trailer and it shows her like turning around, uh, like whenever she's in the upside down in the school uh-huh. and she has like the bald hair. So it's obviously her from season one. And then whenever she is getting out, it like... She, you can, you can see her <laughs> whenever she's like pushing through the thing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I I don't know. I might I might have to rewatch the trailer, but I think no. it shows her hair. No, it 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 totally does. But but to me, I mean, that didn't mean the same night. I mean, short in a short span, yes, because the, the hair wouldn't have had been able to grow that much. But um, but you're you're right. The the hair certainly gave us a, a good indicator. So. First thing we see is her throwing up, just like Barb did. You know, when Barb went to the upside down and was in the bottom of that pool, we saw her throw up this weird substance. So, happened to Elle as well. Uh, and then, what's the first thing that Elle starts doing? 
she she calls out for Mike. Like she just immediately starts wanting to find Mike, just like Mike was calling out for Eleven mm-hmm. right after. And that that's so cute. And mm. <laughs> there's a lot of sadness or pulling on the heartstrings here in this in this opening segment here of, of this. We see her find that spot in the wall. That's where we hear the government goons on the other side and she waits for them to go and then she breaks through the wall and it was almost like she was being born again i mean she had crud all over her like a newborn baby might but when you think about the events that transpire after that i mean yes she's on her own there's but there's a lot of different i think um parallels you could you could draw here she's she's innocent in a lot of ways she she doesn't know anything she's she's again she's all alone she's vulnerable but it, aside from that, it's kind of a fresh start from her. The government goons, as for all they know, she's dead. She's gone, even though they're they're looking for her. We, we do see that, and we'll talk about that. It's a new chance for her. She's got a fresh lease on life. It's it's a resurrection in a sense or that sort of thing. So I thought I thought it was cool. It was there was a lot of symbolism there with, with her breaking through the wall and uh, coming back into the real world. Okay, I thought it was interesting how mm-hmm. she was completely energy drained. She used the last bit of any energy that she had to right. defeat the Zivogorgon. And then, you know, just a little bit later, you see her walking through the halls and then she's like, oh, there's a portal. And she just breaks the wall with her powers as yeah. if she wasn't, you know, dead five minutes ago. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I, I don't know. I mean, she was probably passed out on the floor for some period of time, but again, not very long, but an- enough to recharge her batteries a little bit. Yeah, because I feel like if they if she stayed in there like long enough, mm-hmm. they would have found her. So like, because I mean, they're the government people; they would have gone in there to try to find her. So I don't think she was in there that long, or they would have found her. No, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, you know, until she comes out of the hallway and we see the blood smears on the floors and stuff. I hadn't really thought too much about, and in in hindsight, it's kind of like, well, derp, but I hadn't really thought too much about what was the story they told the public? I mean, were they sufficiently able to hide all of that from the public? I mean, there was a lot of gunfire. You think about all those machine guns going off as they're all trying to kill the Demogorgon in in episode eight. Um, and, And all those bullet holes. I mean, you know, the walls and everything would have just been riddled with bullet holes. We didn't see any bullet holes when she came through the wall. That's fine. I mean, it would have been nice if the if the special effects team had put a few in there. But either way, you know, they had to cover up all those bullet holes, repaint those floors, clean or repaint the walls, clean the floors and do all of that. This wasn't over some sort of school break or holiday. So, yeah, I was I was thinking that whenever um, whenever I watched it today, like a couple Mm -hmm. minutes ago, I was like. How? Like, what did they tell the school? Like, they're going to have to, like, pay for that and, like, fix the hole in the wall. Like, I was just specifically thinking of, like, the hole in the wall where the Mm -hmm. portal is. Like, they're going to have to get rid of that. They can't see the portal because they wouldn't know what it is. And they're going to start, like, asking questions and stuff. So they couldn't, like, tell, like, the Board of Education or whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't know how they would do that. Well, it's it's a conspiracy thing. You see this happen in, in TV shows where, especially if the government is vo- involved, they'll send, send in a cleaning crew and make it look as if nothing happened and they can do it in a period of time that just seems unfathomable. Unf- Boy, that was a new word. But so, I, you know, I don't think it's unrealistic for them to do that. I guess just because I've grown up watching 
things like this where the government's able to pull off these things. But it just shows, you know, how big the cover-up is if they are able to pull that off so that none, no one in the town is none the wiser. That's, you know, again, just shows how much power that this organization has and how organized they are to be able to pull this type of cover-up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned it already. The first place that Elle goes after she gets you know, from the, she emerges from the wall, goes, go, leaves the school. First place she goes is, is Mike's house. What were your thoughts on what was happening with the Wheeler family and that whole scene with Mike and Elle and the window and all that sort of stuff? So, um, the power lines, like she follows the power lines. Like it's just, I think it's so cool that she remembers how to get back to Mike's house. Mm-hmm. Um, like after only knowing him for a week, she knows how to get from the school to his house using the uh, power lines and because um in season one that's where they met up that one time like at 315 or 315 that so they were kind of like an important part of mike and l mm-hmm. like it's part of their relationship kind of like and like kind of the other boys too because they were there whenever they met up at the power lines but yeah i don't know because she i just think it's kind of cool how she remembered that I thought it was cool to see the Fed. We're going to get a couple of, again, answers from what happened. This is one of them. We So we get one in the way of flashback here. We get another one with Steve and Nancy later on via them kind of recalling and reminding each other. But we see, you know, the interrogations going on. A lot of agents in that house, they're combing it through and through. It looks like one of them was putting a bug into the telephone. So they're going to be monitoring the phone calls coming in and out of the house. Yeah, a lot of things going on. Do you think that Mike actually saw Elle through the window or what What happened there? We know she was there. So I think he actually did see her. Mm-hmm. But he probably thought he was just imagining it. I, that's exactly what I think, too. I mean, because of the behavior we see him demonstrating with the walkie talkie and the tent or whatever you want to call it. You know, like if you were to build a tent in the front or the living room, that's what you'd call it, right? It would look like that. So um, or a fort, I guess that's the, the better way of putting it. But anyway, it seems like maybe he's, he doesn't. He doesn't know if she's alive. So I think he's like thinking it was his imagination, you know? Yeah. Or like she wasn't real or something. Or, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really what, what got me in the intro though. So we, we, this is all still happening before the ro- opening credits are rolling. So when the agents see that Mike is looking out the window intently, they are like, oh my gosh, it must be her. So they go, out looking for her and she finds a place to hide and there she is she's dirty she's cold she's alone she's hiding and fearful for her life and she's crying and it was just like oh my gosh this is like the saddest thing ever poor child my heart is breaking for 11 yeah exactly i mean that would just be the worst so present time um we are back into the cabin and we see hopper making some french toast maybe and Elle comes behind him and scares him, which was pretty funny. That was adorable. She's just like <laughs> ghost. Like I, I like the way she says that. Like with her limited vocabulary, I just, yeah. I just love it. She's, she's like a little kid again. Yeah, you know. So this whole Elle in the ghost outfit, uh, we've talked a lot about different things that inspired the Duffer Brothers and that they they throw into this show. This is a big one here. This is from a 1983 movie. Do you know what movie it is? E.T. Yeah. Good job. Like the the second I saw that, I I didn't even have to Google it or anything. I just knew the answer. Yeah, I thought you would. So yeah, and it's 
again, a lot of parallels when we see the community out trick-or-treating and all the kids in costume, particularly among the streets, not the party scene so much. We didn't see a scene like that in E.T., but when the kids are walking the streets in costume, completely reminded me of of E.T., but in that scene in E.T., they disguise E.T. as a ghost so they can get him, you know, safely Hide him in plain sight successfully. So Elle's trying to say, hey, we could do that too. Not that she's seen E.T., but I thought it was a great shout out to that movie. Another thing I liked about this scene was just, again, their conversation. I I love the the dynamic between Hopper and, and Elle. He's not her dad. And we haven't really seen a whole lot of rebellion out of her. You know, she... She's still respecting boundaries, although she's also, in this scene, we see her expressing what her desires are. She wants to go trick-or-treat. He reminds her of the rules and, you know, and reminds her that he's trying to protect her and teaches her a new word, compromise, and, which I thought uh, was, was pretty funny. It's, it's being halfway happy. Neither one of you are really happy. It's being halfway I know, happy. I was thinking that. I was like, <laughs> that's not really a good thing. <laughs> I know. He made it sound like it wasn't really that good, but compromises. Uh, I mean, she seemed, to, she seemed to be okay with it. She did. And she it thought just, it was positive. You know, she was bummed, but she took the sheet off and I loved how he rubbed her hair and, and she kind of looked at him out of the corner of her eye and gave her that smile. And That reminds I, me of um, whenever she was with Benny. Oh, Yeah. It really does remind me of Benny because, yeah. like, I don't think he like you know pets her hair or something. Because in the in the one scene, he's just like um, a smile looks good on you, yeah. and he, she's just like what? And he's like you know a smile, and he like demonstrates a smile, and then and then uh, she smiles, and then now she like knows what smiling is. Because <laughs> I feel like at the lab, she probably didn't do that a lot. No, she probably didn't. She was just too busy crying out for potatoes. Um, (laughs) uh, She did the next thing that she did totally reminded me of you. So they kind of get through their moment of conflict. They, they come to a compromise. He rubs her head and they get to eating and and he had already during the discussion poured syrup on her French toast. And (laughs) the first thing she does is grab the bottle and just dumps a whole bunch more. (laughs) That is totally Addy. Did you mean corn dog sauce? Yeah. Yeah. If you ever hear Addie refer to corn dog sauce, it's what the rest of us would call syrup. Yes, that does mean that she eats syrup <laughs> on her corn dogs. <laughs> yeah. It's not bad. No, I mean it makes a lot of sense actually. I don't I don't think it's it's like pretty much like breakfast. It's like the the bread on the outside is like a pancake-ish thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the same type of fluffiness. And then like the inside it's like a sausage or something. It's it's pretty good. Well, they do make like sausage pancake corn doggy things. I don't know what they call them, but corn dogs. But, but we're talking about the regular corn dogs here. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the next flashback that we get, which is we talked. To, we might have hinted at this a little bit, but it's again. Okay, what happened with L after the initial night? You know, she was. There's still some time that has elapsed between when she left the Wheeler's house that night and then gets found by Hopper. And there's still, that still doesn't get completely resolved here. That's why I'm saying there's still a couple more questions out there, but we get a pretty good uh, idea of, of how she was able to provide for herself. <laughs> the poor squirrel. The first thing we do is see her using her mind powers to take out a squirrel, which I thought was awesome. That was, that was really funny. Like the first time I was like, 
<laughs> and then like after watching it a whole bunch of times, I just thought it was so funny. This to me was my favorite part of the, of, of this flashback was when, um, the dude comes upon her. Cause you don't know, like what's she, what's she going to do? Yeah. I was expecting her to like, let him help her. Like she let Benny help her. Yeah. And she's letting a uh, hopper help her and like Mike, mm-hmm. but she just, you know, yeet. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She yeeted the flaming log. And <laughs> I thought, okay, I've watched that episode like four times, three, okay. three times, something like that. And, um, every single time, and I've seen that scene several times. Like I've seen that scene more than I've watched the whole episode. Yeah. But, um, Every time I thought she was throwing the squirrel at him. I thought she was, she just uh, like got the burnt squirrel and then like threw it at his face. I didn't realize it was a log until I saw your note. Yeah. Well, the first time I thought it was the squirrel too. And then the more I looked at it, I thought that's, that's a log. And then the, on my second watch, I kind of paused it and looked at it and, uh, yeah, it was definitely the log. It was cool because it kind of comes floating behind her, like she's yeah. just waiting, and then poof, unleashes the f- the log of fury, steals the guy's coat and hat. I know she she's just. He's where just, did we go wrong with her, with our <laughs> poor child? I know she's. He was trying to help, but anyway, and it helps us understand because again, it's winter time. It's cold. How is she able to survive the elements that that well? And she steals things. She she takes out old guys and steals their their things. Better than those owls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been funny if it was she would have killed the owl instead of the That would have been really funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Back in the uh current time, it's the morning of Halloween before school. This was so much fun. All the moms taking the pictures. I loved this scene so much. It was like the funniest thing ever. <laughs> And no, Jonathan's not a mom. <laughs> Jonathan was the one taking the pictures. Okay, fine. But Joyce was there. True. Yeah. She was freaking out about Will. Yeah. So in, in the scene where Joyce is like looking for Will, I thought that was exactly like season one. She comes in looking for Will. She looks in his bedroom. She starts wondering where he is. And then she goes immediately to Jonathan asking where um, where he is. And then she looks in the bathroom and this is like the funniest thing ever. And she's just like, what are you doing? Uh, peeing. Yeah. Poor guy. Like he couldn't even go to the bathroom without his mom, like invading. <laughs> I know that's, but you're right. It's completely like episode or season one, that morning where she discovers Will is, and you know, it's under, as a parent, I can totally understand where she's coming from. I mean, if, if I had a child that this happened to, It'd be hard not to be overly protective. And she is. I mean, even when, you know, we see it later with Jonathan and Will when they're going trick-or-treating and Will's like, well, Nancy isn't taking Mike trick-or-treating. It's going to be, you know, so I I feel bad for Will, but I completely understand Joyce's point of view as well, particularly since it's been a year and things are kind of on edge right now. But I feel bad for him, though. Yeah, like give the dude some space, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, again, those those Ghostbusters photos were funny. I loved Lucas's little sister. <laughs> I know what was her name again. Uh, I have no idea. I, for, I forgot what it was. Yeah, yeah, but she's what she say like this is why 
you only hang out with boys yeah or this something? is like you only hang out with boys yeah <laughs> yeah she was awesome i want more of her um i thought it was really funny and yet surprising that nobody else dressed up for halloween because they said last year everybody dressed up which doesn't mean literally everybody but you know that means a lot of people dressed up this year nobody dressed up so you would think that would only happen if like the school put out some sort of notification that we're not allowing costumes this year. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that that struck me about this scene is we've seen that that scene a hundred times with the four of them outside of Hawkins Middle School. Dustin turns, turns and yeah. has this oh crap look on his face like the same, he's just had this bad realization and it just shows, you know, because we we assume things. You know, for me, I assumed he was looking off and on the horizon and seeing the shadow monster. Yeah. Um, it turns out that that look was the look of oh crap, guys, nobody else has been. Has I know up. the trailer made it seem way more dramatic <laughs> than it actually was. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show you can't trust trailers. Yep, and yeah, even at my school a lot of people dress up like even seniors are dressing up and mm-hmm. like um yeah you're in high school now yeah. you said that there were some folks there were dressed up as uh 11 and some folks from stranger things yeah i saw four people dressed up as stranger things two 11s two dustins i did love the part okay we we see it originally where they're going to ask max and then the bell rings and they miss their chance or she walks off i guess but that, that was pretty funny. It was. But it was also funny later when they do actually ask her if they wanted to go trick-or-treating. That was our opening quote from, you know, you heard that scene as we opened up our episode today. Dustin has no idea what the word presumptuous <laughs> means. I don't know. This was hilarious. I didn't know what it meant either. I had to Google it. And once I found out, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. I think that might be my favorite scene from the episode. <laughs> Rip Dustin. Um, okay. Let's talk about Hopper and Joyce a little bit. This scene where they're, I think it's at Joyce's house, right? And they're smoking, they're sharing a, a cigarette and just kind of talking about Will and talking about old times. And yeah. Stuff. So whenever they, uh, whenever Hopper had the cigarette and then he gave it to Joyce, why did she start coughing? It looked like she pulled some tobacco out of her mouth, like some of the tobacco fell out of it. I don't know if he if he smokes filterless and there's not – normally there's a filter where you put your mouth and so the smoke comes through the filter from the tobacco. But if it's a filterless, then it's just open tobacco there on that end. So it looked like maybe some tobacco had fallen out of it and she had to pull it out of her mouth or something. Oh, I thought he like spit on it or something. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it was a little bit weird to me, um, but – that's the best I could make of it was that it was a, a filterless and some tobacco had come out of it. I loved this scene a little bit because we got this a little bit in season one where you can tell there's still a little bit of a connection there between Hopper and Joyce, right? And I think that they're doing a little bit of a slow burn here where these two characters, I wouldn't be surprised to see them end up together when all is said and done. I don't care if they end up together or not. If they don't, I'm fine with that. I but hope it, they do. But it just seems like there's a there's that little bit of a connection there, but they're not pushing it too far too fast. And I, I do appreciate that. But we also see, I love um, Winona Ryder in this scene. She freaked out all of last season. I mean, she was just amazing because it's so hard to, to continually put that much energy into your performance. And she nailed it last season. This season, she's been much more subdued because, you know, Will is alive and well. 
although we we did talk about her little freak out moment earlier in the episode, but when she's sitting here talking with Hopper and she's thinking about Will and she's, she's starting to break a little bit and stuff. And uh, anyway, it was just another reminder of, of how excellent Winona Ryder is because she's just right on the edge of breaking, but she's not breaking. You see her face quivering and stuff like that. So uh, I really liked her performance in that scene. Mm-hmm. She's pretty good. Uh, next scene I want to talk about is the library scene. What were your thoughts here? I thought it was actually Barb for a second. I thought they got Shannon Purser back to like play it mm-hmm. and they were going to have like a flashback or something. Yeah. But I don't know. Cause whenever, whenever she turned around and I was like, Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Like, cause you can tell Nancy feels really guilty for it. And even whenever, like during the party scene, uh, she said like, we didn't kill Barb. So she thinks that she and Steve killed Barb. And I mean, they kind of did not to like defend her or anything, because like it was still partially her fault. But she also didn't know that was going to happen. Like she didn't she didn't know what the Demogorgon was. She didn't she didn't think anything of it. Sure. So, I mean, it wasn't entirely her fault, but she should have been a lot nicer to Barb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're you're spot on there. We, We learned some information here when they, you know, they kind of go off into this little room and and they have a little chat and, you know, Steve talks about the government agents, you know, they could put them in jail, they could destroy their families. And again, it just kind of helps you, helps us, uh, it helps us fill in some of the questions we may have had, like, why is everyone acting like this didn't happen? And, you know, you can assume that they were all threatened with bodily harm and imprisonment and death and, torturing of family members and whatever in order to get them to cooperate. But now we know these things concretely and it kind of helps us understand what they're up against, what they feel like they're up against, right? If we just assume that they were threatened, then we see them make decisions and you're like, I don't know why they're making these decisions. Like why doesn't Nancy tell Barb's parents? It's a legit question to ask and we can assume why, but now we, we know for sure why you empathize with her all the more, right? Because you know the incredibly difficult situation uh, that she finds herself in. And we see her behavior later at the party that we'll talk about and, you know, kind of helps us understand why she's making some of the decisions and behaving the way that she is. So I was glad we got this information. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of in season one when uh, Steve and Nancy are talking and she says, like, the police are going to interview me and stuff. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and he says, uh, well, don't mention the beers. Like, I'll get in trouble. Please don't mention the beers. So that, that kind of reminds me. Like, he's he's always thinking about, like, the negative outcomes. Like, don't tell them about the beers. We could get our families killed. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I think the difference here is is that when he was talking about don't tell them about the beers, he was worried about his dad busting yeah. him. And here he's, talk, he's more concerned with, you know, the safety of he himself and his entire family. But you're right. In both situations, he's certainly worried about what the authority might do. Um, Okay. Another huge scene of this episode is the car ride home with Max and Billy. I love this scene. Why do you love this scene? Billy tries to kill your boys, your children, as you called them last week. Okay. I like it because the music really cool. I like, I like the song. Do you know what song it was? I know it's in the list of songs. Yep, I have it in the notes. Is it? Oh, uh, Wango Tango. Wango Tango by Mr. Ted Nugent. I, I liked that scene because she was like, 
defending Hawkins. Yeah. And he was like, why are you defending? And he was just a really good actor in this scene. Like that was pretty intense. And I wonder, okay. I wonder if the boys think that Max was the one that was trying to run them over. Mike doesn't like Max or he doesn't seem to be, or doesn't seem to. And later in the episode, he's certainly unhappy that she's there. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe this scene uh, had an impact on his opinion of her. It's a good point. I hadn't thought about that for some reason. It seems so obvious now. Yeah. Obviously the other, the other two, they knew it was Max. So I don't know. I just want to, I just want to know if they think that Max was the one that was trying to run them over or like was the one that like swerved and saved them. Cause I mean, it's obvious which one she did. We know what she did. Right. But they don't. Yeah. I mean, for all they know, Max and Billy are both like, ha ha let's get these country bumpkins. Let's scare these boys. You know, they, they could be in it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. The conversation between Max and Billy in the car is pretty interesting. Billy says, we're stuck here, and whose fault is that? And Max mutters, yours, and he replies, you know whose fault it is. Say it. You know, it says over again, say it, say it, which she never does. I think we're, the, uh, I, to me, it was, she's the reason. I mean, if it's not him, it's it's her. Um, well, I feel like it was kind of both of them. Cause like, why would she think it was his fault? I mean, she, he obviously had to have a part of it a little bit. Yeah. You, no, you're, you're right. So it makes you kind of, and I know you know more than I do. Cause you've seen the episode or the whole season one time, one time only that was our deal. You've done a great job so far. Here's what it reminded me of. And I'm not a hundred percent sure. So help me out listeners, if you, if you can correct me or if you can tell me if I'm right or not, if you're in the live show, chime on in too. It reminded me of a movie that I saw when I was a kid around probably nine or 10 years old. And so this is mid eighties and there was a, there was a family and I want to say it was a little girl and a dad. And I don't know if it was the rest of the family and they were, moving around the country, trying to hide from government authorities. And I think it was Firestarter. And I know that that's part of the the plot of Firestarter. And so that's the only movie that I can think of that it could have been. So if you could help me maybe confirm or, or, or give me some other ideas on what movie it could have been. But anyway, that's just what it reminded me of. And in Firestarter, Drew Barrymore is, is the little girl there. And she has the ability to start fires with her mind, right? She's got pyrokinesis. So, I'm just wondering if if Max has some sort of special abilities like that, just because it reminded me so much of, of Firestarter. But when she says, Billy, it's, it's your fault too, you know, that could be as simple as he blew their cover. And that's why they had to move across the country. Or his anger issues exacerbated the situation and got them discovered or something like that. You know, his, his anger led to them. So maybe it's a, it's a little bit of both of them. She has this thing and he is jealous of it or upset by it. And and his behavior towards the thing that she has is also causing them to have to move. Or if she's got a gift of some sort, maybe he does too. So I don't know. I don't know. I know, you know, and you can't say too much, but those are my thoughts with the little bit of information we have at this point. Maybe, maybe he thinks that because she has the power or whatever, it's her fault. Right. One other scene or, or, or storyline, multiple scenes that we can speculate on here 
is the pumpkin patches. We saw something mentioned last week uh, where the pumpkin patch, was it Merle's pumpkin patch? Or was Merle the one that was being accused? I can't remember. I'm getting names mixed up. I know I'm getting names mixed up. I think Eugene was the one that was being accused. Eugene sounds right. So um, either way, there was a pumpkin patch. All the pumpkins rotted. Chief was notified. This week, another guy comes in and he kind of tells them that all the pumpkin patches are almost all of them have been have had this same phenomenon. Now the chief is like, wait a minute. Okay. I have a few thoughts on this. I know you probably can't say too much because you probably know what's going on with pumpkin patches. Is there anything you have to say about this or or can say before I unload what my thoughts are on it? Just go ahead. (laughs) Okay. You've got that look. I know you have to hold back. I'm trying to think of what I want to say now, what I want to say on the final scene, but I think right right now, all I'll say is obviously what we're seeing in these pumpkin patches is some sort of effect of the upside down. There's something from the upside down coming over, bleeding through, however you want to phrase it, that's impacting these pumpkin patches. Why the pumpkin patches? I think it has to do with the worms on the trees. The worms on the trees, I'm going to hold back a little bit uh, for now and just say, I don't know if they're actually some sort of worm or if they are essentially the maggot that becomes the flies, right? We see tons and tons of flies around the pumpkins, the rotting pumpkins. Those flies have to come from from a larvae, the maggot. And so it could just be that's what all the larvae are. But we definitely see the slime and we the slime is synonymous with the upside down bleeding through or, or whatever. So as far as I'm concerned, it is. So I'll leave it at that. But when we get to the the final scene of the episode, I'll I'll, I'll kind of throw in some some additional thoughts on that. The final scene of the episode. Mm-hmm. You mean Dustin looking at a trash can? Yep, I think those have a tie in together, and I'll I'll, I'll explain why when we get to that. Okay. Uh, the main of what we want to talk about here is is night falls on Hawkins, and so we've got a lot of things that happen. You know, once night falls on Hawkins during uh, the trick or treating night, uh, we mentioned the party. You mentioned it first, I think. Um, we see some some different behavior here out, out of Nancy. She gets drunk. Steve tries to get her to stop drinking. Drink spills on her shirt. They go to the bathroom to try to clean it up. And she basically tells Steve that she doesn't love him. Or she, I felt she, so bad for Steve. I'm sorry. Could you say that again? I felt so bad for Steve. Folks, there it is. I don't, we should have had a we should have had a poll going. How soon in the season will Addie start to change her opinion on Steve? Episode two. I would not have thought that. Okay, I just after rewatching it, I was like. That's horrible because, like, okay, whenever whenever you're drunk, like, it, it it obviously alters your mind, but it doesn't, like, change your ethics. So, you, she, uh, it's, <laughs> I just feel so bad for him. It, like, his, his facial expressions, he's just like, you don't love me? Yeah. What? And he's obviously upset because, like, he, he cares about her and. It was just devastating. Yeah. Well, you know, when we first saw Steve, he had the reputation as being the playboy. He was just, you know, trying to get Nancy in bed and and he was superficial, right? So now a year has gone by, they're still together. And now we see he really has matured and has legit feelings for her. And, you know, 
alcohol can be a, a, a wicked truth serum sometimes. And she seems to blurt out that her feelings for her, for him rather, aren't really, isn't true love. And, um, that was hard for him to take. So it's not surprising in a way in the trailer, we see a scene that we haven't yet seen, uh, yet of them in an alleyway. And there's clearly some conflict going on there and Steve walks away. So my hunch at this point is that that's a follow-up conversation to what happened here in the bathrooms and Steve and Nancy still aren't able to kind of, uh, make amends with it, but we'll find out. But yeah, yeah. Quite surprising for sure. Okay, two things about this scene. I think Nancy, uh, Natalia, thinks she's a really good actress in in this scene. Like yeah. she, she can, she's really good at playing a drunk person. Like, I was really impressed. That was, yeah, it was super funny. And whenever she got the red stuff all over her shirt, uh-huh. he was like, "It's not coming off," and she's like, "It's coming off." <laughs> um, <laughs> That that was really funny. And she just like keeps trying to get it off. And like after he walks out the door, she picks it up and just like yeah. rubs it off again. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, I'm wondering how it got all over her shirt. Because whenever <laughs> whenever he bumps into her or whenever whenever the drink spills on her, it's just the top part. And then whenever she's in the bathroom 20 seconds later, it's all down her shirt and it looks like it's been there for a couple minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's classic TV where the... Uh, the- the prop doesn't kind of match up. I thought the same thing. I thought, man, that drink, that spill got a whole lot bigger really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Good scene. Uh, and then of course, Jonathan takes her home and, and no surprise there again, kind of like we talked about with Hopper and Joyce earlier, like there's a, maybe a bit of a spark there. It's, It's, more obvious here between Jonathan and Nancy, at least on Jonathan's part. I mean, that was pretty clear in season one, but yeah, for those of you who are shipping Jonathan and Nancy, I think that um, this episode probably gave you quite a bit of hope, I would I would think. And, and Jonathan's so sweet. He takes her home. I don't know how he's able to get in and out of the house unless the parents aren't there. I mean, how, is he, how he's able to get in and out without being seen. But anyway, he takes her home, tucks her in bed, takes her boots off, and he's just very gentlemanly and, and very nice guy. So kudos to Jonathan. Yeah, I like that. And she recognizes him. Yeah. She She says... Jonathan. Yeah. It'd be interesting what she remembers the next day, if anything, even though she says his name, will she remember it? Or because she was That's important. Drunk. I'm yeah. just going to tell you right now, her saying his name is kind of important. Okay. All right. Spoiler alert. It's not spoilery. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about important things. Important conversation. If you've tuned out, tune back in. We're about to have an important discussion. The boys are arguing about nougat, the importance of nougat, and now Three Musketeers is nothing but nougat. And they have an argument about, is it even in the top three treats for Halloween or for, for you know candy treats, period? So let's hear it, Addison. What are your top three treats? Let's, let's put you in this situation. You're going out trick-or-treating, bag in hand. What are you most hoping will end up in that bag? Top three. Let's hear it. Kit Kats. Oh, okay. M&M's. Okay. And I kind of like the vanilla Tootsie Rolls. Oh, those are good. Yeah. Okay. So my friend, she said something to me yesterday and I can't stop thinking about it. <sighs> she, said, she said Tootsie Rolls are pretty much just chocolate starburst. Oh, that's a good... I've never I thought know, about that. I know, and I was like, Chloe, stop! Why would you say that to 
<laughs> That's pretty cool. Okay. Well, since you asked, my top three. <laughs> I didn't ask. <laughs> we're going to pretend you did. Uh, Reese's Cups. Patty, you and I on the same page there. Reese's Cups, number one. Number two, Reese's Pieces. Those are different candies. So I'm I'm taking them in the number one and number two slot. And then number three, what was it? Oh, Butterfingers. Oh, I forgot about Butterfingers. I love them. They're good. So you might see a peanut butter theme there. And uh, that's that's definitely my top three. So Three Musketeers, I, I in fact, I had two of them this week that were from the uh, Halloween candy. I um, have like one out of that whole thing. Hey, you know what? It's not my fault I get to eat your candy while you're at school. <laughs> I didn't even go trick-or-treating, so... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's from the bowl that was in the kitchen. It's the community bowl. So anyway, I wasn't stealing anyone's candy. But I like I do like Three Musketeers. It's a legit candy, but it's nowhere near the top three. It, 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 I don't know. It might sneak into the top ten, but then probably not. I like it. It's good. And I've never had nougat, so... Okay. What's your least favorite candy? Hmm. Like, it, it, the, it's the Halloween candy. Like, what's the last thing left in the bowl or the bag because that's that's your least favorite anything lemon flavored i don't like lemon flavored things what it's gross and um i'm trying to think of what's still in that bowl in there (laughs) the thing that's left in the bowl is definitely what my least favorite item is what is it hershey's kisses no i love those no these are hershey kisses wrappers i know it turned into a square it's a terrible chocolate. It's a terrible tasting. Cho- it's like, it's like the American cheese of chocolate. American cheese is good. No, it's not. What is wrong with you? <sighs> okay, let's get back to the podcast. Max comes out of nowhere and scares the boys. That scene was awesome. Yeah. And okay, you you asked us this in the car. Who was the one that screamed? You thought it was Mike. And I was like, it was definitely Lucas. So if you turn on the subtitles, turning on the subtitles really helps. Like it, because it says Lucas screams. Oh, does it? Yeah. So I was like, I was right. Well, on my, on my rewatch that I did last night, I paid attention and I even went back and watched all their faces on this. And I was totally with you. It was, it was definitely Lucas. You were right. So yeah, Lucas screams like a girl. That's hilarious. That was really funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it leads to some tension in the group, right? Mike is not happy that Max has joined their group. If you go back to that scene that we played as our opener, when Dustin and Lucas invite Max to join them, they said, we talked about it, the majority of us, the majority rules, you're invited. Now, there's four of them. Unless they're saying Will's not one of us, which I don't think so. Yeah. So, okay. Whenever I first watched it, like the first couple of times, I missed that part where they said like majority rules or something, you know, stuff like that. So I was like, okay, those two agreed Mm -hmm. and Will didn't really have an opinion. And then Mike was obviously against it. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, it's two out of four. Uh, that's like halfway and you round up, right? Uh, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I'm not going to try to argue with eighth grade logic, especially when there's a girl motivating their logic, you know? Yeah. But then whenever you get to the scene where Will is talking to Mike, yeah. 
it's revealed that Will agreed to it too. Oh, I missed that. Okay. Yeah. He said something like, I guess we just thought that you would be okay with it. So I don't think they even asked Mike at all. Oh, how did I miss that? I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you picked up on that. Rip Mike. Well, okay. But does Mike, how did I, I phrased it somewhere in the, in the notes. Where is it at? Um, okay. Mike is not happy that Max has joined them. Is he right to be upset? Yeah. They didn't even ask him. Okay. And they, I don't think they asked him because they knew he was going to say no. It's like, you don't do that. They're your friend. You need to ask. I mean, I mean, I guess it's okay because they, they knew his answer. So, okay. Let me ask it a different way. Is Mike right in not wanting? Okay. I can understand if, if they did it without asking him being upset. That's one thing. But if they didn't ask him because they knew that he was going to say no, is he right about that? About that? What do you mean? Well, my, here's what I'm getting at. He brought, he's the one that brought Elle into the group last, last year and basically forced her into the group when guys like Lucas, you know, is Lucas and, and Dustin and Mike, right? Because Will's in the upside down. And Dustin's kind of like, he doesn't really care. Mike is obviously adamant about it. And Luke, Lucas is adamant on the other end, right? So you have Dustin not, really not wanting to pick a side here, which, which you can understand. But my point being, Mike's the one that busted up the group by forcing L into their group. Now, the circumstances which, and the value that L L brought to them, completely different than Max, right? I mean, L had yeah. an, an, a knowledge of like she, Will and stuff like that. She helped them. And- right. But I'm just saying that Mike was kind of forceful in, in bringing L into their group and now it seems like the tables are turned on him and, and he, he kind of, I, he seems to think that he should have a bigger say in the group. Like he seems to be the, the, the leader of the group, but that doesn't he, mean. Cause he's the dungeon master. Yeah. Exa- yeah. So I don't know. I think he's a little out of line. He's, he's being a little hypocritical, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, my child does what my child wants. <laughs> well then. So, so you, you think he's completely Okay. Even if he was being hypocritical, he has the right to be upset. Like they didn't, they didn't ask him. She, he doesn't like her. Mm-hmm. Like, and then they're just bringing her along. No, and I think you make a valid, very valid point. In fact, that if they don't even ask him, that's a complete bypassing of his opinion and disrespectful. It's one thing to ask his opinion and then do the other thing because majority did rule. It is another thing entirely to just not ask him, bypass him altogether. So. I can see why he's upset when it comes to that point of view. Yeah. Okay. So at this, uh, Mike gets runs up to the house and and leaves Will. Uh, you know, he didn't mean to. It wasn't, you know, he's just kind of upset and leaves Will by himself. Will gets scared by uh, Jason from Friday the 13th and then by a clown. And then uh, there was a third person there too. Maybe it was a werewolf. I don't recall. They get, gets called zombie boy and some stuff like that. Gets knocked down or falls down. And so he ends up kind of uh, flashing to the upside down. I don't know what else you want to to call this. I thought this was interesting because remember last episode, Addy, Will said when he, I think it was when he was talking to the doctor that the monster didn't seem to be coming for him. It seemed to be coming for ever for everybody else. That did not seem to be the case this time. The monster, particularly when Will runs and he hides and he's kind of tucked behind that little brick wall, you can see the shadow of the monster kind of coming around a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay. Whenever... Okay, wait, two things. So whenever he like fell and he was in the upside down, I was like, how did 
how did that happen? Because the other time, like even even in the trailer, it shows him looking through the door. I think this was an episode one. He, yeah. was, he was looking through the door and oh yeah and then even in the arcade he yeah. had to go through a door and it always seemed like he was in the room and then there was a door leading outside but there he was already outside so i don't know it was kind of weird mm-hmm. like there was no door involved <laughs> and okay every single time i watch this part it's so intense it's just like you see the monster growing and getting yeah. bigger and it was it was just so cool it's like in episode one of season one, when the Demogorgon is like sliding open the lock and looking through the uh-huh. door and you see him like walking down the street. It's like that intense. It really is. I mean, it, it's very intense. Um, I felt so bad for, for Will. I mean, he's, he's terrified. He's, he's the smallest of them. Right. And so you, you kind of want to protect him because of that as well. And um, it's, it's really bad. And as soon as he gets into the upside down, he's calling out for Mike, mm-hmm. just like Eleven did. So, like, Mike's kind of the go-to person. He's, like, protective and understanding. Yeah. He's definitely the de facto leader. The other kids look up to him, you know, kind of like we just talked about. Um, and, and that's that, you're right. That's a clear example of that. Which I thought was great because now Mike does come to his rescue. He tells the other boys and Max, you know, I'm bored anyway. You guys go finish trick-or-treating. Will and Mike end up back at the Wheeler house. And, you know, Mike and Will share a nice nice little bonding moment here where they're talking about, you know, Elle would have understood. And Will uses the metaphor of what he's seeing is kind of like a Viewmaster that's stuck in between slides. Do you know what a Viewmaster is, by the way? Yeah. Okay, I thought you did. I Googled it. Oh, I thought you had used one before. When? I don't know. I just thought we had had one around or I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, do you have any thoughts on their little scene in the house? So when he says that 11 would understand, I saw a post and it said like it was that scene, like 11 would understand. And then it was the scene from season one of 11 saying, Mike, I understand whenever they were talking about him falling and how he busted his chin. And um, that that was just like upsetting because he still thinks of her and she's not there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just devastating. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So Hopper had promised Elle that he would be home by 515 and they would eat candy, get fat, and watch a scary movie together. Mm-hmm. Innocently, he got tied up at the pumpkin patches, lost track of time. He now grabs some candy or buys some candy off of the boy. For $5. I was thinking that's way too much money for a little kid for like a small bucket of candy. <laughs> yeah. Give him like a dollar or something. He's like five. Maybe he only had a five in his wallet. Who knows? Uh, he gets back to the cabin. L ignores him completely she does open the door but yeah she's she's completely ignoring him i don't think we ever see her come out even when he was like i'm gonna sit here on the couch and eat this candy like she never comes out does she <laughs> i don't think she does i i thought it was funny though like he was just sitting on the couch eating candy i'm gonna get fat this is really bad for my health you better come out here <laughs> she's like i don't care <laughs> It was cool, though. We we talked about in our predictions episode before the season, one of the scenes we saw from the trailer, the second trailer, where we see someone from behind putting a blindfold. I, I said I couldn't tell if it was a headband or a blindfold. And I couldn't tell because based on the hair, if it was L or Steve. Well, we got that answered. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the blindfold. I, and I it thought was it was L. Steve. Yeah. I don't remember what I said. I went back and looked at our notes and I didn't have it written. So we were just kind of. I think you thought it was 11. Did I? 
Well, good for me. Because I, I know I, I thought it was Steve. Yeah. But, you know, you're just talking about Mike and Will in Mike's basement. And Mike's talking about how Elle always understood. And when she, she, you know, she called out for him and stuff. And, and now we see her put on the, the blindfold. This is really cool. She no longer needs to get into an isolation tank or a tub or anything like that in order to be able to project herself into the void or whatever we want to call that. Now she's simply able to put a, the only sensory deprivation she needs is just to put on a blindfold. And I think she'll continue to get stronger and be able to do it without even having to put on a blindfold at some point. But this is a great illustration of showing us how much stronger she's getting in her powers and how much better she can, she's maturing in them, I guess I should say. But yeah, so she goes, she sees Mike in his, in, in the fort and uh, it's another really sad scene because she's calling out for him. He's calling out for her and you think that he sees her. Yeah. I think I think he's he senses her there. Yeah. Like just like he I don't know. I was gonna say like how he like senses her at the window, but I, I think he just happened to look up. I don't think it was him like sensing her there. But yeah, like because he hears uh her say uh, say his name. Mm-hmm. So he looks up and he knows that she's right there. But I was very disappointed whenever she she was like so close to like touching his hand or something. Yeah. And she gets up and because okay whenever whenever she touches something i wouldn't i wonder if he would have like known she was there or would have thought that he it was just in his head again yeah that's a good question it reminded me of the sixth sense there's some scenes in that where you have uh bruce willis's character interacting with his wife and the way that they cut some of those scenes. Uh, this is what that were. I don't want to, I know we're well beyond the spoiler zone on the sixth sense, but it's such a good movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. But anyway, this scene, the way they cut this scene reminded me of some things they did in that movie. I haven't seen it. Well, there you go. Okay. Final scene of the episode. Dustin gets home from trick or treating. Something is in his trash can. Uh, Here's my prediction. And I I put this out on our Facebook this week uh, asking, you know, what's in the trash can. So I think we get some, some clues here. I mentioned the pumpkin patches and the worms earlier. Or are they larvae or what are they? For those of you who have played the game, the the mobile app, which if you haven't, you need to go check that out. One of the things we see only in the upside down in the game are these slug worm things. And it honestly, it looks like the exact same slug thing that will spit out when he went to the bathroom at the very end of season one. Once he gets home and he spits that slug out into the the sink. So I think what Dustin sees is one of those slugs. And in the game, they're, they're pretty big. Like it's, it's one of those enemies where you, you hit it and then it splits into two and then you have to kill each one of those individually. And I don't know that these in the show are going to be that same way. What I am taking from that is that they get bigger than what, will spit out of his mouth much bigger. I think that they could either be bleeding over coming over through, through gates from the upside down, or perhaps these worms that we saw on the tree are the very young versions of those. And so you think about the pumpkin patch that got hit a couple of days earlier, those worms would have had a couple of days to get bigger. And if they grow fast, then, you know, then you never know. Or, Hey, Will spit one out of his mouth into the sink and went down into the sewer and then, you know, fed on whatever it found down there. So, and again, they could, these, these 
creatures could come through the different holes, uh, the doorways and stuff that we have from the upside down into the right side up. So anyway, that's my prediction is that it's one of these slugs that, um, and, and the other thing that ties it in, we heard this weird screeching noise or, or not even screeching, I don't know, chirping type of sound. We saw it there in that final scene with Dustin in the trash can. We saw it when uh, Hopper was in the pumpkin patches, or we heard it rather, and we heard it in the upside down. That chirping, screeching sound uh, is present in all three of those scenes. So based on that information, part of it coming from the game, part of it coming from last season, part of it coming from observation, uh, my prediction is that it's going to be one of those slugs. Uh, we asked it on Facebook. Kelly M says that perhaps it's another portal. And I think that that's um, probable. Yeah. Um, Andrew G said just about the ending and Eddie, you mentioned this too. love the way the episode ended with the Ghostbusters music kicking in at just the right time, turned what could have been and was set up to be a scary ending into a somewhat fun and quirky ending. I thought it was cool because I liked that part. Yeah, I completely agree. Also, a little bit of a lost reference, and we got a lost reference in the end of season two, episode one, that I completely forgot or didn't even actually. I didn't even notice it. I felt so stupid. And that at the end of episode one, uh, and I think Henry pointed this out. Uh, forgive me if I'm if I'm misgiving credit there. Uh, it, she's Elsa eight one five. Well, at the end of this episode. Dustin looking down into the trash can is very reminiscent of Jack and Locke looking down to the hatch at the very end of season one of Lost. So I wouldn't know. You could say there's two Lost references in a row. So I don't know. Don't know if the Duffer brothers have been influenced by Lost or not. But if they have been, they just got cooler. All right, Addie. Anything else to say about the episode? It's pretty lit. What was your rating? <laughs> Ten cute little exterminators. <laughs> nice. I gave it eight bags of candy why eight well i mean it wasn't as as good as last week um it wasn't a bad episode eight's a really strong episode they were all great (laughs) they're not all tens although maybe from you they are well we're going to talk about notes from the upside down which is listener feedback but first here's a promo for our star trek discovery podcast hi i'm brian and i'm adam And we host the Star Trek Discovery Podcast, part of the Golden Spiral Media Network. Every week, we break down each new episode of Star Trek Discovery, a brand new series in the Star Trek franchise, available on CBS All Access in the U.S., Space in Canada, and Netflix everywhere else. We analyze what happened, what we think will happen, and how the show fits and doesn't fit into Star Trek canon, and go through listener feedback. You can find us at Star Trek Discovery Podcast.com and subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Join our community. Our Facebook group is at Facebook.com slash groups slash Star Trek Discovery Podcast. Live, Live long, long and, and prosper. prosper. All right. So go check that out if you are a Trekkie. And uh, thanks, guys, for the great work you're doing. All right. Listener feedback time. Are you ready? Mm hmm. All 
All right. We've got lots of feedback in this week. This one came in just after the deadline for last week. So it's about season two, episode one, and it's from Tad. Here it is. Hey, this is Tad calling in from the great Sonoran Desert, and I'm calling in for the Stranger Things podcast. Um, hopefully I'm getting it in on time. If not, I guess it can go on next week. Um, so I just wanted to say, watch the first episode. I'm going to do the same thing Daryl's doing and just watch them one week at a time. And then, uh, you know, watch, listen to your guys' episode and then watch the next episode and, and, and just kind of continue on that fashion rather than binging them all at once. And uh, just to say, I really liked the first episode. Um, kind of, you know, I remember that game Dragon's Lair and we didn't have one in our town. So we had to go to the, to the next town south of us, probably, um, Santa Maria. Um, and, uh, it was probably about a half an hour, 20 minutes away. And one of our friends, dads would drive us down there to the, the arcade there. And we'd, we'd play it in that. And, um, and then, you know, go back home. And we went down there just for that game because that was the one game we didn't have in our town that, that we knew about. So yeah, I remember that game when it came out, it was kind of a big deal. Dragon's Lair. Um, I want to say, uh, thanks for the podcast. Um, Daryl and not Clint. I'm just kidding. I, I know this is, uh, Miss Darnell, Hattie, I believe your name is. Um, thanks for doing the show, and you guys do a good job. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. Bye. Thanks, Tad. You can call her not Clint. I think I think she. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Do you mind being called not Clint? I don't care. <laughs> not mom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Dragon Slayer was cool because the graphics on it were unlike anything else available at the time. But the catch was it was just kind of reading these. It was almost like a movie, an interactive movie. So. You saw them in that episode where they had to hit the joystick and the button at just the right time. It was all about timing. And and that's what made the game so hard because if you didn't hit the right combination of joystick and button at the exact right moment, you died. And there went your quarter or two quarters. And, and, and um, so it was kind of reading these scenes off of a disc and then you'd have to hit the, the button and the joystick at just the right time. But it made the ability to have these incredible graphics. There was nothing else like it at the time. So... But also one of the most frustrating games ever created. Addie, do you want to take Ben Turner's feedback or shall I? <clears throat> well, season two, good. And episode two proves this tremendously. I think it's wait, I think that it's weird that both seasons have a teenager drinking party in which Nancy loses someone in episode two. Also, I think the new monster has something to do with those dead pumpkins. Anyway, that's just what... I think so. Until episode three, stay strange. <laughs> you stole my outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hadn't picked up on the uh, Nancy losing someone in both episodes, um, or in episode two, rather, both times. Although losing Barb is a little bit different than the way that she lost Steve, but still. Episode twos are not good for Nancy. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Ben. Let's move on to some audio that we got in. This is from Allie. Hi, my name is Allie and I'm calling from California. I'm leaving this for the Stranger Things podcast. And I wanted to talk to you guys about episode two. So there are three things really that I wanted to talk to you about episode two. I really, really enjoyed uh, the bond between Mike and Will. I thought it was amazing, and I think there's a lot of room for that development. You really see that Will depends on Mike, especially after all that he's been through, and it's really lovely to see like a really, really close relationship build between these two boys. 
And secondly, I feel like we're getting a lot of insight into who Max is. And so far, Max is just one of my favorite characters. The show could always do with a lot more girls. And I'm really excited to see her because she seems really, really cool. And I can't wait to see what the show has in store for her. And finally, I thought I'd mention the amazing scene between Eleven and Mike where she wants to see him and she can't. And that was one of the most heartbreaking things for me to watch, as I'm sure it was for you. Beautifully acted by both Millie and Finn. And I was just wondering to hear what you guys' reactions were on that. Thank you, guys. Love the show. All of, both of you are doing amazing. Um, I can't wait to hear more. Thank you. Thanks, Allie. I love Finn. <laughs> when Allie, when you said um, Finn and Millie, Addie's face lit up. Finn specifically. Yeah. It was good. It was it was a fantastic scene. You're right. They both they both were, were wonderful in that in that scene. Great performances all around. Did you have any more thoughts you wanted to lend or anything any comments on what she had to say? No. Okay. Then I will take the next one. This one came in from Ken and he says of all the Stranger Things podcasts, yours is most enjoyable. Great work. Thank you, Ken. He says, I grew up a child of the 70s and teenager of the 80s. This show captures that time like no other. The one house where everyone hung out in the basement, the parents who were seemingly clueless, and the arcade where our quarters were eagerly fed into amazing games. Addie, you are fortunate to have the opportunity to create a podcast with your dad. I believe this is the future of broadcast media. We, my friends and I, used ham radios to do what you're doing now. Keep up the good, hard work you're doing as producer. Now the cliche. We had no cell phones, no computers, except our house where the only ones to communicate uh, with were academics. No GPS. We ran from sun up to well past sundown. Our bikes or the vehicles to the world. No lattes, no rewards unless earned. I sometimes look at kids today and they seem more and more twitchy, pale, and become breathless walking up the street. They even have devices to propel them so they need not walk. Anyway, take some time to unplug and hike or ride a bike, letting the wind wash over you, live life, and experience true connection. Look forward to more podcasts. Thank you both. Yeah, I love riding my bike. Fully, I still had one. <laughs> yeah, I accidentally sold Addie's bike at our last garage sale. <laughs> it was like a year ago. And, we and a- who said they would buy me a new one? Yeah. Well, you'll be driving soon. <laughs> That's not the same thing. <laughs> You're right. And I still have to buy my own car. That's right, too. And I don't have money for that because you're not letting me get a job. I know. It's a rough life you have, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent advice, Ken. Thank you for that. All right. Let's get back to some audio. This one comes in from Ben Crane. This is Ben from Texas calling for the Stranger Things podcast. Hey, Addie and Daryl. I am so excited to discover your podcast. I love Stranger Things. It's my favorite show right now. And I might just have a new favorite podcast since I've discovered the two of you. I wanted to call and give a little feedback on season two, episode two. I give this episode eight and a half flaming flying squirrels. I really liked it. I thought it was good. Not as good as the 
first episode, but a lot of a lot of good takeaways from this episode. Probably one of my favorite things was just the beginning of the episode. I really liked seeing Elle's journey right away. So we didn't have to wonder about this any longer. We got to dive right in as she dives right out of the upside down. And I liked that it had the strong Ghostbuster reference right from the beginning. So she goes through the wall of slime. She basically gets slimed to get to get out from the upside down and get back to the right side up. And then I also liked how she went straight to Mike's house because, you know, we wondered after episode one, why hasn't she had contact with Mike or why hasn't Mike had contact with her? And, you know, we see that her natural reaction was to go seek him out first thing, but she quickly discovered why she couldn't have that contact. So it, it really helps us understand why she's staying with Hopper and why she's staying hidden and why they haven't gotten back together yet. So I thought that was great. Um, the rest of the episode, you know, I loved the I loved the Ghostbuster theme. Um, I I think I had a costume very similar to what the boys were wearing that day. Although I don't understand why no other kids would have dressed up for Halloween. That seems strange. I mean, I know our our little band of heroes are kind of nerdy, but come on, they wouldn't be the only ones dressing up for Halloween. I thought that was a little weird. Um, I did think the rest of the episode got bogged down just a little bit in kind of rehashing some of the same themes from from last year. So I would have liked to see a little bit more forward progression than what we got with the other characters in the episode. But I had one question for you guys. There were a couple of Frankenstein references kind of in the middle of the episode. They were, they were in two different scenes um, back to back. And I just wondered if there was any significance to the Frankenstein references. So maybe you guys can shed some light on that or give me some good theories for that one. The the only other theory I wanted to throw out there for today is in episode one, we kind of started with with the game Dragon's Lair, and the magic sword was what was needed to defeat the dragon. And, of course, in this episode, we have proton packs, which if that's not a magic sword, I don't know what is. So I'm wondering if there's something about a magic sword or some special weapon that we're going to we're going to see used to defeat our our upside down villain at the end of this season. And maybe there's even a reference from Ghostbusters here again, because we have L, who was kind of the magic sword of season one. But in season two, we already know there's number eight out there. So maybe it's going to take more than just L, and they might even have to cross the streams or cross the beams of their special powers to defeat the evil in season two. So that's my that's my theory I'm throwing out there for right now. Of course, Addy, I know you already know what happens, but you're just going to have to keep your mouth shut until later on, and then you can tell me if I was right or wrong. So love the podcast. You guys are doing a great job, and uh, and I hope I hope Addy continues to to give Daryl a hard time, keep him in check, because I think we all can appreciate that. But you guys are both doing great. Thanks for the podcast. I'll be listening. Bye. <laughs> you got wrecked. <laughs> That's okay. Ben and I have a long history together, uh, giving each other a hard time, so I can take it. Appreciate that, Ben. I do have a thought on the Frankenstein, and I didn't mention it because I knew that you were going to mention it, or I knew that you were going to bring it up. So. 
Here's my thought on the Frankenstein. The two references you point out, one, I think the first was when Bob and Joyce were dancing, he mentioned she was stiff like Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. The second one is the scary movie that Elle chose to watch was the original Frankenstein. So my Wait, thought... the one with like the dude saying that he loved the girl or whatever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know that was a reference. I didn't know what the movie was. Yep. So my thought... So Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster is someone who was brought back to life. And I already mentioned my thoughts on the symbolism from L emerging through the wall in this episode. So because of my thoughts on her, I think she is Frankenstein's monster. She is the creature that has been brought back to life or what has found Will? new life. Because Will actually did die. Yeah. Like they had to uh, give him CPR to bring him back. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's both of them. And that would tie in both scenes. Will being at Joyce's house and of course, Elle watching the movie. Hmm. I don't know why. Cause Will seems obvious. And that never occurred to me. That never occurred to me. I think, gosh, I think that's, that's a really good point. Frankenstein's monster was completely misunderstood. He was, he was seen by the villagers to be a, a danger and they came at him with you know, torches and pitchforks, right? And so it could be foreshadowing that whomever, if there is to be, I should say, a Frankenstein-esque character in this season, that that character might be misunderstood and tried to, uh, you know, be attacked wrongfully and, and that sort of thing. So those are my thoughts. I love that you brought up Will. That seems so obvious and I hadn't even thought of that. So kind of like that better now, actually. So good job, Addy. You got wrecked again. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next feedbacker. I think it's your turn. So this one's yeah. anonymous. It's anonymous. Uh, it came in via a text message. They text messaged our feedback number, which I didn't even know you could do until this came in. And I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. But I didn't get a name. So that's why it says anonymous. Um, okay. So anonymous <laughs> says, well, you Stranger Things cast, you talking about how quarters were precious hit home with me i am 48 and grew up in arcades i built an arcade machine at home and i tell younger people who play it that the one big part of nostalgia that it can't replicate is the urgency of the quarter <laughs> they have no idea what i'm talking about it's true I mean, I tried to express that last week and it sounds like he, he completely was <laughs> digging what I was saying. But yeah, the urgency of the quarter, that's a great way of putting it for sure. Does our arcade machine require quarters? No, it's, it's, uh, it's free. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Cause I don't have money. So, yeah. All right. And this next one comes in from Justina. Hi, Daryl and Addie. 1984 references I found in this episode when Elle was watching TV there was a piece of the Terminator trailer. Also, they talked about Viewmasters. I do have a theory about the slime. It seems to affect all the crops. At the beginning of the episode, Elle punched a hole in the membrane between the Upside Down and our world. The lab rats are clearly sending people between the Upside Down and our world. And last season, we saw that there was an entrance inside of a tree. So I wonder if all these breaches between the upside down and the right side up are causing this goo to leak through and affect the trees and the crops. Pretty interesting that there was so much slime in an episode in which the boys dressed up as the Ghostbusters. Trick or Treat Freak gets 9 out of 10 
three musketeers bars catch you next week excellent yeah thanks justina so other pop culture references that justina since she brought those up here are the other ones in my list in the library when we saw not barb there was a whole series of books right there on the shelf. These were from Time Life. I recognize these because Grandpa Jeepa had these. It was Time Life book series on World War II. And it was like, I don't know, 30, 36 of them or something like that. Each of them chronicling a different battle or stage of World War II. And so when I saw those, man, the nostalgia, the flood of memories that came back sitting over at Grandma and Grandpa's house, because my grandpa is no longer with us. We lost him a few years ago. And so this one just hit my feels of, of sitting in their living room or in their den, reading through those books that G. Paul used to have. So that was that was really cool to see those. And it, they started releasing those in the mid-70s up through the mid-80s. It took him a long time to get all those released. I don't know if he had them all, but he certainly had a whole bunch of them. Uh Songs, Wango Tango, we talked about that, by Ted Nugent. Shout of the Devil by Motley Crue. That was all my childhood right there. Islands in this Dream, uh, that was the record that Bob put on, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. So there's our Kenny Rogers tie-in from last week as well. Monster Mash by Bobby Pickett. Yeah, I know that song. Very popular song, especially this time of year. And then Girls on Film uh, by Duran Duran. That was being played at the party as well. Mm-hmm. And then the party, listen, there are a ton of costumes. I know that I missed a bunch. Here are the ones I saw. Uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Cobra Kai from um, Karate Kid, Rocky, Madonna, the wedding dress from like a virgin video, Magnum P.I., Rowdy Roddy Piper, and I probably would have missed this uh, had it not been to Christopher on our Facebook page pointing that out, Uh, Bluto from Animal House, Mike on our Facebook page uh, pointed this one out. Nancy and Steve went from the characters uh, went as the characters from Risky Business. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what they were because yeah. they said that they dressed up and I couldn't tell what they yep, were. Yep, I totally would have would have missed that. Uh, Michael Myers, that's who um, Max was dressed up as. We saw Pac Man. We saw Jason Voorhees from Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, Justina mentioned Viewmaster. One other thing that I thought might be interesting is we saw a Life magazine in the room there with L or in the cabin. That particular episode or, or issue said Pope Paul the Fourth in America. It dates from October fifteenth, nineteen sixty-five. Don't know why it's important. It might not be. It could point to the age of the cabin. This is not where we saw Hopper living last season. This is a different residence, and so it could just point to you know when the cabin was last regularly used. I don't know, uh, but wanted to point that out. All right, back to feedback. Uh, I believe we've got... uh, Stephanie. Stephanie, yeah, it's my turn to read. Uh, She says, episode two was a lot of fun. Enjoyed the boys as Ghostbusters, but it was odd that they didn't know no one else would dress up. I would have thought there would have been an announcement of some kind. Uh, I'm liking Max as a character more. I predict she will eventually become part of their friend group. I was sad for Elle, who didn't get to go trick-or-treating because Hopper lost track of time. I was spoiled on what Dustin found in the trash can and am very intrigued by what it is. See, I have not been spoiled. I can't wait to see the next episode to find out. (laughs) I know what it is. I know you know what it is. All right. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, Let's get back to some audio feedback. And it's from Tad. Here it is. This is Tad from the Great Sonoran Desert calling in for the Stranger Things podcast. Hey, Daryl and Addie. Uh, I hope this gets in there on time for uh, episode two. Um, 
Yeah, I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, I was just thinking, you know, in, in uh, I was the same age as these kids, but I think actually in uh, Halloween of 2014, I would have been 14 years old, but I would have been in, uh, I would have been a freshman in high school. So um, this show's really hitting a lot of the nostalgia buttons for me, the you know, the, the hairdos and the, you know, video games and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I don't really have anything particular or special to say about this show. I'm uh, kind of like some of the flashbacks we had with Eleven about how she kind of, you know, kind of showed us how she came to, to live with Hopper in the end. And um sounds like she lo- looks like she's going to she's getting tired of, you know, being cooped up in the house and she's going to she's going to take off here pretty soon. And I just wanted to say, you know, we've seen that there's a was it was it eight or something that was out. I mean, I wonder how many of these, you know, super soldier government experiments things the government let escape. You know, you think one gets away. They're not going to just let them, you know, let them go and wander and roam like eight is. So I'm, I'm assuming she escaped like eleven did. And you just kind of wonder if you know they let one escape. You think you know if you let two, it just I don't know, it kind of strains credibility a little bit to think that they wouldn't be more careful or, you know, put protocols in place to prevent another escape. And if these guys are this smart, you know, how can they be so, I don't know, let two prisoners, if not more, escape? Because we don't know there might be more out there that have gotten away if two have. Anyway, um, thanks for the show, and I appreciate it. And I'll hopefully I'll talk to you next week. All right, bye-bye. It's a good question. We did speculate on how many others are out there. I said I think there's no more than 11 because 11 was in the lab. You think she's the most recent one. But that doesn't mean that one through nine or ten, rather, are out there in the wild. They they could have been killed by accident or on purpose, or maybe they are out in the wild. I don't don't know. I feel like you can't respond to this question because you may know. You may not. I don't know if we got an answer in, in, in... Season two. They could not be people. I don't know. Like flying squirrels? No. I mean, like maybe because, okay, like a lot of makeup companies, they test on animals. So maybe they did some tests on animals, like actual like lab rats or something. Mm -hmm. I knew what you meant. I just had to, I wanted to throw out flying squirrels. You're not clever or funny. Just (laughs) stop talking. Wow. You know who is clever and funny? Jeff Childs over on our Facebook page. He says, Billy... Um, I'm supposed to read this one. Oh, you go right ahead. I don't know what you think you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Billy makes Steve look like a boy scout. This guy, blah, blah, blah. Boy nice scout. job reading. <laughs> hey, you, you want to fight me? Billy makes Steve look like a boy scout. Yeah. That, that was really funny. Yeah, he does. Because uh, Billy stole his place as keg king. And Steve didn't care. Nancy was the one that went for the for the alcohol at that point. Are you starting to like Steve? No. Oh, I didn't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Okay. Uh, Nixie on Twitter said, it just doesn't feel like the buyer's house without the weird stuff on the walls. That's a good point. Without the big gaping hole in the front wall and the alphabet letters, you know, she should keep up the alphabet letters just for the sake of all of us fans who love her house because it has the alphabet letters. Am I right? Yeah. They'd be breaking the fourth wall a little bit, but still. All right. You want to take the last one there? And Austin Lane one says, hopefully Addie got hers. I hit up GameStop limited stock, but I 
racked up. Wait, was there more than that? There was a picture to go along with that. So last week, you and I talked about the wave three of Funko Pops that were coming out. The four boys in their Ghostbusters. Elle with the longer hair. Joyce in her Fomart smock. Max with skateboard. Max with costume on her head. That's four, five, six, seven, eight. That's it. Eight of them. And so we pre-ordered ours. They still haven't shipped yet. So we're still waiting. Uh, Austin went to GameStop and found all of them there. Uh, except for the one uh, Max with the uh, Halloween costume. That is a Hot, hot Topic exclusive. Please say it like a normal human being. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Jim Gaffigan has scarred me from ever saying anything that rhymes with Hot Pocket from saying it in any other way. So I'm glad I'm glad you were able to get yours. When we get ours, we will post a picture to our Facebook group and to Twitter. I'll let you guys and know. Probably Instagram too, since I still haven't forgotten the password. So speaking of those outlets, let's give the folks listening that information. And if you want to send in your feedback, we would love to include your feedback next week. So Addie, you want to hit us up with that? Um, okay, we want to hear your thoughts about each Stranger Things episode. So you can send in your feedback at um, 304-837-2278 or our feedback page. Um, you can follow us on our social media accounts and our Instagram is Stranger Things GSM. Our Twitter is Upside Down GSM. And our Facebook is www.facebook.com slash group slash Stranger Things GSM. Indeed. I like seeing how fast I can say the Facebook one. Why don't you say it so fast that people can't understand what you're saying and then they can't find us? That's preferred. Okay. And the website for feedback is uh, goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. She didn't say that because I forgot to put it in the notes. So my bad. But I got Boy. you <laughs> That was really messy. Boy. All right. You ready for the uh, quote of the week? So the quote of the week is, I hope it doesn't suck. And Bob says that, so. So you hit T to zoom in, and W zooms back out. See? Easy peasy. Yeah, yeah. just make sure you turn off the power to save energy. Yeah. Listen, stay close to your brother, okay? And listen, listen, listen. Right. If you get a bad feeling or anything, right. yeah. you just tell him to take him okay. straight home. You promise? Okay, promise. Are right, you ready, bud? Yeah. Be safe. I hope it doesn't suck. Yeah, Bob's kind of awkward, isn't he? Relatable. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it is time. Let me scroll down here because we've covered some of this stuff already. Oh, yes. It is time for the Hawkins Report, which is news and rumors. All right. I will take number one. And that is just a reminder again of the contest. And by the way, I mentioned earlier that we had one person that I was including in the contest. I wasn't sure if uh, it was intended to be a contest entry or not. And that was from Kaylee. And Kaylee's joining us for the live show. And uh, that was not intended to be an entry, but it is. We are officially considering it an entry. If you want to con uh, make a contribution to the contest, again, uh, hit us up with a picture of you watching Stranger Things or in cosplay or whatever. And you can s send it over to our Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash Stranger Things GSM. Twitter is upside down GSM. Instagram is Stranger Things GSM. We would love to, to see that. Uh, deadline's November 11th. Winner gets a $25 gift card to either Amazon or Target. It's your choice. You would take item number two? 
So the Stranger Things loot crate is now sold out, but there's a waiting list. Um, That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So just go over to lootcrate.com and the drop down menu, you'll see the Stranger Things option. So it's officially sold out, which means they've got to be getting close to shipping those things out. It's, they said mid-November. They did. And it's, wait, the 5th. Yeah. So next week, maybe, hopefully, we'll get a shipping notification. And again, when we get ours, we will do an unboxing via our Facebook page. Oh, okay. Over 15 million people watched the Stranger Things 2 premiere by its third day on Netflix. Yeah, this comes from TechCrunch. So Addie and I will kind of, we've got several little pieces from this article. We'll alternate these. 361,000 viewers binged their way through the entire season, uh, second season of Stranger Things. That's nine straight episodes. 361,000 people did that within the first day that it was available. <clears throat> Stop calling me out. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Okay, and then the second one says, um, within the first three days, the first episode averaged 15.8 million U.S. viewers and 11 million of whom were ages 18 through 49. So I wasn't included in that since I'm only 14. Well, it's my account and I'm in between those two ages, so... Oh, true. That might have. Uh, in that same time frame, which is the first three days, every episode of Stranger Things Season 2 averaged more than 4 million viewers, over 3 million of whom were 18 to 49. Compared with the 15.8 million viewers who watched Stranger Things 2's first episode within the first three days, only 6.1 million watched the first episode of Defenders within its first week. Yes, week, not three days. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good numbers. <laughs> Similarly, the first episode of Fuller House, which Addison loves, uh, saw 4.6 million viewers in its first week. And the first episode of House of Cards, season five, uh, that is after it was an established hit, was also watched by 4.6 million people. And, you know, I'm pretty sure this article was written before the House of Cards came tumbling down this week, but still. What happened? Uh, the lead actor was caught up in a, um, in a sex scandal. And uh, so that, that entire show is being canceled now. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, it was pretty bad stuff. So, um, but it was one of the the more popular shows uh, on the on Netflix, and so again, Stranger Things is just dominating it. Of course, it is. It's amazing. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> Stranger Things 2's premiere didn't just beat out other Netflix shows, though. It beat out some traditional TV too, as TV Guide reported. Stranger Things 2 beat The Walking Dead in ratings, which had pulled in 11.4 million viewers for its first season eight premiere about a week earlier. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking Nielsen's social content ratings found that there were 7.2 million social interactions across Facebook and Twitter over the first three days that the show was live or the season two was live. In response to a request about Nielsen's stranger things, two numbers, a company spokesperson replied um their math might be from the upside down nielsen only measures a fraction of our members viewing for example they don't measure mobile viewing our series are global 
and member viewing patterns may vary greatly. What device they are watching on, what they are watching, where they are watching, and what they are watching. Making it very difficult to model, even if they had accurate samples. So, in other words, all those great numbers we just shared with you, it sounds like Stranger Things Season 2's numbers are even better than what Nielsen is reporting. So, that's really awesome. So, congratulations to the Duffer Brothers, the entire cast, and creative team behind the show. You guys have worked hard, created this wonderful show, and it's paying off in spades for you guys. And so, we're thrilled for your success, and we thank you that we get to enjoy your uh, creative efforts. But uh, great job, everyone. So, it's time for the meme of the week. You mean the meme of the week? The meme meme of the week. So the meme of the week is a meme that was kind of floating around. Yeah. Uh, like a couple months ago. But it's the one of the guy who's with his girlfriend and he's looking at another girl. And the guy is uh, says me. And then the girlfriend says responsibilities. And the, the girl's looking at him kind of like, why, why are you looking at her like kind of jealous? And then the other girl is Stranger Things season two. <laughs> Yep, that's true. Accurate. Yep, definitely accurate. So we'll have that on our blog post, our show notes for this episode. Again, goldenspiralmedia.com. And this is Stranger Things Season 2, Episode 2. And with that, Addy, we have now come to the end of our show. But before we get out of here, we want to remind you again one more time of how you can get in touch with us, both for interaction on social media or to send us your feedback for next week. The number is 304-837-2278. Apparently, you can call and leave a voicemail or a text message, which was awesome. I didn't know that. You can also go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. And of course, social media, Instagram is Stranger Things GSM. Twitter is Upside Down GSM. Facebook.com slash groups slash Stranger Things GSM. All right, that's it. Addy, nice job. Thanks, bro. This was fun. We'll be back next week to talk about Season 2, Episode 3. We hope you'll join us for that episode. And until next time... Stay strange. Stay strange.